This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Thanks to Dana-Farber's foundational work, protein degradation can target cancer-causing proteins and destroy them right inside the cell. Learn more at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. The animated comedy Archer explores the raunchy exploits of Sterling Archer, who is known from Berlin to Bangkok as the world's most dangerous spy. The show is violent, smutty, and packed with profanity, wordplay, and callbacks. The final season is about to premiere, so we thought now would be a good time to revisit our conversation about the series. I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Glenn Weldon, and today we're talking about Archer on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute where hundreds of researchers and clinicians make new discoveries inspired by the work of previous Dana-Farber scientists. See why nothing is as effective against cancer as a relentless succession of breakthroughs. Learn more about their momentum. Go to DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History, from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, is now streaming on Hulu. Support for NPR and the following message come from Scholastic with Hummingbird by Natalie Lloyd. Now in paperback, Hummingbird is a funny, magical tale about Olive, a girl with brittle bone disease who refuses to let her disability stand in the way of adventure. From WABE Studios, the podcast where they read stories is a new children's storytelling podcast featuring notable Atlantans and performers reading classic and contemporary children's books. Each episode contains a story meant to entertain, inspire, and inform young listeners. No screens required. Listen to the podcast where they read stories on WABE, part of the NPR Podcast Network. Welcome back. Joining us today is the head of production at Wondery, Kathy Too. Hey, Kathy. Hey, guys. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So, Archer premiered all the way back in 2009 when it revolved around a spy agency run by Mallory Archer, played by the incomparable and irreplaceable Jessica Walter. It's worth noting that Walter died in March 2021, but completed voice recording for season 12, so this is the first season without her. Her son Sterling, voiced by H. John Benjamin, is a hotshot spy with a drinking problem and a cavalier attitude that maximizes mayhem. (laughs) His on-again, off-again love interest is badass super spy Lana Kane, voiced by Aisha Tyler. She once dated on-again, off-again accountant Cyril Figgis, voiced by Chris Parnell. The one-time head of HR is Pam Poovey, voiced by Amber Nash. Pam starts out as the office gossip, but we soon learn that she among many other pursuits, races drift cars with the Yakuza. (laughs) Then there's Secretary Cheryl, who also goes by Carol, as voiced by Judy Greer. She's an heiress who sniffs glue and owns an ocelot. (laughs) And if you think Cheryl slash Carol is weird, you haven't met Dr. Krieger, voiced by Lucky Yates. He's sort of like Q in James Bond if Q spent much of his time consuming tentacle porn and creating half-human, half-pig hybrids. And finally... (laughs) There's Ray Gillette, a field agent who happens to be a gay cyborg. He's voiced by Adam Reed, who created the show. He was also at the helm of the show's C-Lab 2021 and the wonderful Frisky Dingo. Archer is currently in its 13th season, which sees the gang working for a new boss, Fabian, voiced by What We Do in the Shadows' Kevin Novak. It airs on FXX and streams on Hulu. 
Kathy, I've been talking a long time, but I feel like I've just scratched the surface. Talk to me about why you love Archer. I've been watching this show since it premiered, and what I love about it is that it kind of both reflects society, uh-huh. but continues to have individual episode humor that anybody could drop in on. And that's what I've sort of loved, especially when the world was uh, under siege by ISIS. They changed the name of their agency from ISIS uh-huh. to something else. I think it's uh-huh. now just the agency. Uh-huh. That's what I love about the show. It's goofy. It doesn't quite make sense. It takes something that we're all obsessed with, which is spies and cool gadgets and uh, hilarious personalities, and it sets it up in a way that just feels relatable. And I think that's why I've been watching it since the beginning. I definitely kind of petered out during three seasons of Coma Archer. (laughs) As did the show itself. (laughs) We'll we'll talk about that, yeah. But I've come back around with as soon as they announced that he's out of the coma. Season 11, mm-hmm. I was back on it. Oh, uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, you ticked off a lot of the things that make this show this show. Steven, I happen to know you love this show. Can you talk to me about how it's evolved over the years? Well, I think a lot of its evolution has been by necessity. Several of the very key character actors providing voices on this show have died. Obviously, Jessica Walter died, and they had to write her out of the show at the end of season 12, and they've had to evolve from that. The great George Coe, who mm-hmm. played Archer's manservant Woodhouse, yep. died, which was a, a, a kind of stealth huge loss for the show. You know, So it's had to adjust just simply to the passage of time. I think this show, it is comfort food mm-hmm. in a way that is really hard to explain because this is a very loud show yeah. and like most lines of dialogue are screamed and <laughs> so is full of gunfire and constant conflict and yet the rhythms of this show and the way a lot of the dialogue is pieced together it has a rhythm that is very strangely relaxing to me and so when i have the house to myself this show comes on at full blast mm-hmm. now You asked me, Glenn, about how this show has evolved. I would say very unsteadily. I would say the show is pretty phenomenal for the first five, six, seven seasons with some kind of hiccups along the way. Some of it has aged a little bit better than others. Mm. But seasons eight, nine, and ten, for three solid years of this show, Sterling Archer is in a coma, (laughs) and each season is like in a different kind of parallel universe. One is set in the 40s. One is set in kind of a an Indiana Jonesy kind of like jungle island adventure. And then one is set in space. I find those seasons completely skippable. Agreed. Uh, for one, you're not advancing the plot in any way. None of it is canon. It's kind of sort of fan service. Mm-hmm. As soon as it gets him out of the coma, as you say, Kathy, it really kind of gets a little fresh jolt of electricity and is really fun kind of ever since. I would say it is not as consistent as it used to be, but if you dropped out at some point during those coma seasons, I really recommend picking up with season 11 and getting back into it. Yeah. I'm one of those people who dropped out, like many people, and I am back, and I'm back for good. I've always really dug this show. I love the design, the aesthetics of this world. Mm-hmm. Everyone on the show is hot. Even the Cyril Figuses of this universe are just hot. There is a really interesting <laughs> stiffness to the animation in terms of their bodies that's very reminiscent of what it's going for, this sort of Saturday morning 60s Hanna-Barbera nostalgic thing with very thick lines outlining everybody very Johnny Mm -hmm. Quest. 
but the animators are directing all their energy to what matters. The bodies can be stiff, but their faces are hugely expressive because the show knows that so much of the show is centered on the dialogue, not the mm-hmm. action. I mean, it's it's a big spy show with a lot of explosions and gunplay, but the engine of the show is the tremendous dialogue that is so expertly performed by this amazing voice cast. I love the joke density. I love the fact that it's kind of a caustic and very unsentimental show, which is why, as I was preparing to tape this episode, I was shocked at how much of it I had just missed. I haven't kept up with it, and I didn't realize how much of it I hadn't, and I couldn't tell you why. I mean, there's a lot more out there now than there was when the show began, but, you know, sometimes the show would zag on me, like in the Miami Vice episodes or the the Burt Reynolds storyline that I just didn't, you know, vibe with. Oh, I love the Burt Reynolds (laughs) storyline. Different things for different different strokes, Stephen. But I drop back on on this season, uh, season 13, the show pretends to be serialized. Everything just goes back to first position when a new episode begins. It feels like going home. I mean, I felt like some of these season 13 episodes could have been a season one episode. I think it's a show that drifts off course and then course corrects. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily reset to square one the way that, say, The Simpsons does, where, like, the characters are never really allowed to evolve. These characters do, I don't necessarily think they evolve into better people, but their circumstances do change over the course of the show. Yeah. And then speaking of the action sequences that you're talking about, Glenn, I love the action sequences on Archer. I feel like the amount of stuff that happens in an action sequence, like we're just looking at the first episode of season 13, there's a sequence just like coming out of an airplane. So I'm a fan of action. So seeing it in the cartoon format really tickles me. Yeah, and there's something fun they do when there's an explosion. They use real fire or that kind of fake digital fire that kind of comes in. So much happens on this show, but the characters and their relationships have largely stayed the same. So this is the blessing and the curse of an animated show, right? Because your characters aren't going to age. So they all exist in this kind of suspended eternal now. So you can just throw events at them. But the central dynamic of the show doesn't change. You get a lot of callbacks, but this show is really smart. It's very assiduous in its desire to keep you up to speed. So here's an example. In the most recent season, in episode three, Sterling and Lana kind of talk to each other about what they've been through together. You two have a child together? Yes, but not through sex. This woman took my sperm to have a baby. Oh my God. Go on. Yeah, and then she never told me. I told you when I was ready. After AJ was born during a coup. Not that you cared, because you abandoned her. So you faked the kidnapping to make me care? Only the first kidnapping. Okay, so... That makes it sound like you're just summarizing like a month of one life to live. But I mean, (laughs) if you have zoned out, like, there you go. That's all you need. But that's one of the reasons I say it's also a curse because I think one of the reasons that long running animated shows tend to get talked about less in their later seasons, Simpsons, Family Guy, I think Bob's Burgers is largely avoiding this because maybe I just, I'm in the tank for those characters. It's just, you have this static relationships, even if you mix things up all the time, as this show endlessly does. These characters, it's great that they're so well-defined. It's great that they bounce off each other so well, but there is a sameness. So it's kind of a bingeable show, Mm -hmm. but it's also not. They've also given so many of those characters so many layers. Mm -hmm. You know, when you were just describing who the characters were in in the intro and kind of going through, we could spend five minutes talking about how each character has developed. Pam Poovey, who starts out as like gossipy HR rep, 
and eventually is like racing drift cars for the Yakuza and is in fight clubs. Uh And (laughs) like they have managed to mine so much comedy. I do think naturally over the course of 13 seasons, they know what to do with some characters more than others. Mm. And I think there are long stretches where they don't really know, for example, what to do with Cyril. Mm -hmm. I think they've struggled a little bit in later seasons to figure out exactly what to do with Lana Mm. to the point where they're almost commenting on the fact that like Lana doesn't necessarily know who she is. Maybe Lana isn't as fun as she used to be. Like sometimes there are characters who spend a little bit of time adrift, Mm -hmm. whereas a character like Krieger, they're sort of always able to do new stuff with Krieger because Krieger is just a very, very creepy cue. And you can always have Krieger working on some ridiculous mm-hmm. cloning or whatever. You can always graft new comedy onto that. And I think some of these characters, they've had an easier time with that than others. I don't know how much you you both would agree with this, but I have frequently thought of Archer as sort of like exactly the same, but the total opposite of The Office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Please tell me more. You got your like two love interests. You've got a weird boss. You've got the weird Creed in the corner who is just Krieger. And then eventually you also have, you know, the odd secretary Mm -hmm. that the office also ends Mm -hmm. up getting. So I kind of, I've always, like when I'm sick, the things I put on are either The Office or Archer Uh (laughs) because they're kind of the same thing to me. Yeah, I see that. I totally see that. It is above all else a workplace comedy, Mm -hmm. up to and including the fact that it will occasionally get into HR (laughs) minutiae. Like like, several of them are on a mission and the ones back home are like fighting because their flex account (laughs) has been been drained. (laughs) That was like, that was the pilot episode, right? It was like Archer's uh, operations account or something was not accurate. Uh-huh. So, I mean, also for the first episode of season 13 takes place at a clandestine con, uh-huh. which just with the corporate takeover, like this is basically workplace, yep. except for spies. And an exhibit floor, the whole schmear. Yeah. Let me ask you a question about this new season. As we said, this is unsentimental. This is kind of caustic. Uh, there's no growth, emotional growth. They wouldn't waste their time on that. However, they're working for a new agency. There's a crisis of leadership. And Archer seems more adrift than usual. Uh, mm-hmm. Nihilistic is always drunk, more drunk than usual, making a show of how uncaring he is. Would this show ever do a storyline where Archer is dealing with grief over the death of his mother? Is that what I'm seeing here or am I making that up? Well, first of all, obviously they have to write Mallory out of the show because Jessica Walter has died. Mm-hmm. At the end of season 12, they tie up the Mallory Archer storyline. It's sort of set up like she has gone away, but she has not died. Mm -hmm. So the grief is more, he's adrift because he doesn't have the influence of his mother in his life. Mm -hmm. To back up just a little bit, like one of the neat things they do in season 11, after those three coma seasons, they pick up where the agency has been moving for three years without Archer and the absence of Archer changes the character's dynamics in ways they have to address throughout season 11 in ways that I think are really interesting. I think in season 13, what they're kind of setting up is the absence of Mallory shifts Archer's motivations. Mm -hmm. It untethers him from his mother's clutches. They're trying to kind of have that character dealing with the fact that his mother isn't around as an influence. And grief may be a part of that, but some of it is just like, 
<laughs> it's a running gag for 13 years of this show that mm-hmm. Archer is deeply affected by his relationship with his mother. Mm-hmm. Like now he is reacting to her absence in ways that I think have real potential. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you one last question, each of you, because I think people listening to this probably know the show if they've listened this far, but maybe they don't. Maybe they're curious about this show and they want to know like a place to start. Now, it could be a specific episode or it could be a season. I think we already know which seasons you would not recommend, but (laughs) where would you start, Kathy, with an episode or a season to just get a sense of this show? I actually think season 13 is not a bad place to jump in. I really love the first two episodes and What's also interesting, I think, is if you want to learn more, you can kind of jump back to any of the other seasons and get a little bit of backstory. Or the Vice season, that's season five, Mm -hmm. was also very impactful for me. Just anything but the coma seasons. Yeah, I mean, I'm certainly on team anything but the coma seasons. Um, (laughs) I mean, I think if you're looking for an entry point into the show, the pilot is very, very, very strong. My favorite episode of this show ever, and I think it's it's a pretty self-contained episode, is in season three, and it's called Los Scandalo. It begins with (laughs) the prime minister of Italy is found bound, gagged, and shot to death in Mallory's apartment. And it is part farce, part murder mystery. It is filthy. It is so, so, so funny. And really brings out the best in a bunch of my favorite characters on the show. I think this has some of the funniest Cheryl moments, Mm -hmm. some of the funniest Krieger moments. Mm -hmm. I mean, the loss of Jessica Walter... We've talked on this show before about how much we love Jessica Walter and how huge the loss of just this central, central performer from both Arrested Development, from this show, from 80 million guest spots on 80 million TV dramas. Mm -hmm. Almost anything with Mallory Archer is going to be some of my favorite stuff. And that Los Gondolo is a particularly great Mallory Archer episode. Yeah, that's a great pick. And so I think... Listeners, you know what we think about Archer. We want to know what you think about Archer. Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH and on Twitter at PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Stephen Thompson, Kathy Tu, thanks to both of you for being here. Thank you. Of course. Thank you so much. Of course. And of course, thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. If you got a second and you're so inclined, please sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter. This episode was produced by Ramel Wood and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides our theme music. I'm Glenn Weldon, and we'll see you all This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, historians, authors, athletes, and more about why people do the things they do. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com podcast or wherever you listen. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. 
Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.